Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over a hundred casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello. Just a quick little note uh, before this episode begins. Uh, first of all, we are talking about Get Out, and we are going to spoil everything about the film. Um, I'm going to try and get better about doing a little thing that says spoiler alert before the episodes begin. I am putting them in notes, but I want to make sure that everybody knows that. So if you haven't seen the film and you do want to see it eventually, uh, probably best to not listen until after you have watched the film. Also, uh, both Carla and I uh, were experiencing uh, severe <laughs> rain and thunderstorms during this podcast. So you might hear rain um, in the background. So I apologize for that, but I hope you enjoy the episode. Thank you. Hello and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing, where each week I'm joined by a panel of guests to discuss all things fandom from the female perspective. Everything from Star Wars to The Office to cosplay to fanfic. It's all right here. So sit back and enjoy this week's episode. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of It's a Fandom Thing. This week, Carla is joining me to discuss the film Get Out. But before we get into that, um, I just have a few announcements. Once again, a reminder that we do um, offer listener support now. So if you want to support the podcast for as little as 99 cents a month, up to $9.99 a month, um, you just have to click on our anchor link. It should also be in the show notes as well. And just click on listener support or just the support tab there. And once again, like I've mentioned several times before, um, all donations we collect, we all the money we receive from now until October 1st will go to various Black Lives Matter organizations. And the same is for any money we receive from advertising, because I'm sure you've heard that we have one advertisement right now that will be appearing all of, on all of our shows and some of our past ones as well. Um, so once again, all of that money from now until at least October 1st, it might get extended again, will be going to Black Lives Matter organizations. And I want to just highlight one right now. The one I'm going to highlight right now is um, Black Vision Collective, and it is actually an organization out of Minnesota. Um, and let me just go over a little bit what they do. They, uh, Black Vision, Visions Collective envisions a world in which all black lives matter. We use the guidance and brilliance of our ancestors, as well as the teachings of our own experiences to pursue our commitment to dismantling systems of oppression and violence. Um, we are determined in our pursuit of dignity and equity for all. So I am going to link this, this organization, in the show notes. So if you want to just go directly to them and donate instead of doing it you know, by donating to us, um, then feel free to click that link as well. Um, but once again, I want to remind you, if you do support the show, you do have an opportunity to potentially be a guest on one of, on a future podcast. And like I've mentioned, I will probably let you choose the topic. So it'll be a special episode and you get to choose what you want to discuss within reason. <laughs> there might be some things that are like, no, we are not going to talk about that. But within reason, you can, you can choose the subject. Okay, so Carla, it has been a long time since you have been on. I think it was Bruce Campbell was the last yeah. episode you were on. That's yes. the last one, and I, I was so glad when you uh, 
posted asking for participation for Get Out because I was like, I haven't talked enough to people about pop culture. <laughs> and these thoughts are staying in my head and I don't like that. <laughs> well, oh, well, I'm glad to have you back because, yeah, because we've all missed you, I'm sure. And and I know it's been it's been such a it's such a crazy time in the world right now, but I'm yeah. so glad to have you on. Um, so is there something in pop culture right now that you're excited about? I am excited to rewatch the movie yesterday for the 9,000th 9, <laughs> time because my uh, first of all, my son is really into the movie. And second of all, like I, I just needed something like really soothing and very easy mm-hmm. to digest. And um, and it's also like just a sweet movie. So I it's been uh, kind of like a, a nice balm on my yeah you know, broken heart, head, spirit, everything. So I definitely recommend that. (laughs) Yeah, that's, I mean, it's good to have those. Like I mentioned in an episode a couple of weeks ago, um, I've started watching Days of Our Lives again. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's kind of that for me. So, I mean, because it's total trash. I mean, absolutely (laughs) no redeeming value of that show at all, um, really. But but it's fun. So it's it's one of those, you know, you have to have those, I think. I'm not saying yesterday's trash, by the way, everybody. I'm just (laughs) saying you have to have those distractions. what I'm into right now, uh, I mentioned on last week's episode that I had finished the latest season of American Horror Story 1984. Um, and that inspired me to go back and start rewatching the show from the beginning. So that's what I've been into is uh, rewatching American Horror Story. So that's not light entertainment by any means. Um, you know, that show is so crazy and wild. Uh, and I've realized that the creepiest season so far in my rewatch is definitely season two asylum. I forgot how scary that was. And I love horror and I've watched horror films since I was a little kid and too young really to watch horror movies. But that one, I could, it was so hard to watch any of those episodes when it was dark outside. (laughs) That's just a a very strong sign that I will never be watching it. (laughs) Just so you know. (laughs) Yeah. It's crazy. The, the whole bloody face killer and all that stuff it's just plus anything that has to do with asylums already gets me and there's also a possession storyline and those ones also also affect me like i can never watch the exorcist again and i can't even watch scenes from it or anything like that that movie really really disturbs me so yeah so i think that's probably why (laughs) why it was like that so it was a slow (laughs) go like i finished i finished my rewatch of the first season in like no time but the second season took a little bit so but that's what I stay away from it. <laughs> One thing I'm into and Carla will be avoiding. And I know yes. kind of mentioned my, my mom will definitely never watch that show. <laughs> Shout out to you, mom. Cause <laughs> I don't even know. I don't know, even know if she's going to listen to this episode because it's a horror film, but, <laughs> oh. <laughs> but she probably will with this one. Um, okay. Well, let's get into get out. Um, so Carla, did you see, did you see it when it came out in the theaters I did, yeah. I I went and I saw it. It looked interesting. Um, I'm not a a big horror movie person, and I generally avoid them in movie theaters. But this looked interesting. People were talking about it, so I was like, oh, you know, let me check it out. And I came out of there like just my jaw was on the floor. I I couldn't get over all of the the themes and all of the subtleties and the little Easter eggs and how complex it was. 
And so I, I you know, I forced like I, I was like dragging people left and right to see it with with me. I was like, okay, I have to watch it again. You have to come with me. And I remember um, I took my sister and my mom to see it with me, like maybe the third time that I saw it. And we spent about an hour and a half after the movie sitting in the parking lot like, and overnight because I got home and I couldn't stop thinking about it. So I looked up all of these articles and was sending them, you know, link after link after link <laughs> about, you know, like, oh, somebody saw this one scene and they wrote like a 5,000 word article on it. So you have to read it now. So I, you could say I was a little obsessed. <laughs> Still a little. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I shared on our Facebook page, there's a YouTube video of Jordan Peele answering some um, fan theories and some people, some things that people have noticed in the film. And some of them he said, yeah, yeah, that was definitely on purpose. And other ones he's like, no, no. Or other ones he'd be like, oh yeah, I meant to do that. And you can right. tell he's like, ah, oh, no, I didn't mean that at all. Well, but that's amazing. I mean, like, as far as, you know, I mean, there's a theory that even links the movie to the movie being John Malkovich. <laughs> right. Yeah. I was like, I that's mean, fascinating. Crazy. I would have never thought. But it's so interesting that, you know, you get all these theories surrounding this this film. And there are a bunch of Easter eggs and a lot of different symbolism that he puts in the film for sure. But it's always fascinating to me when people delve deeper and find stuff in a movie that maybe the director and writer and everybody wasn't even going for and it just happened to happen or someone just sees more a different meaning to something and especially if the director is open to listening to that and hearing that feedback um and it's also such a great sign of a really good piece of film making and if, if people can find that if people can talk about it and think of about the film, if it gets them to think about things, if it gets them to approach things differently, if it gets them to uh, maybe even question themselves or anything like that. And I think, as I've said before, I think horror is one of those genres where you can do that um, a lot more than in other genres. Um, mm-hmm. You can be a lot more um, political and without necessarily always being overtly political. And I don't want to say get at, get away with it, but uh, be embraced for it. Um, mm-hmm. And that's one of the many reasons that I love the genre so much, because it's kind of like the um, punk rock version of all the <laughs> film genres yeah, in a lot of ways. Really yeah. yeah, it's like, okay, we're going to do this and do this. And, and you little did you know, we were actually speaking on this subject. Um, you know, I mean, you look at, you know, this is kind of, veering off here i mean we were talking about if we were going to get into a lot of tangents i just want to say <laughs> you look at like uh movies like last house on the left which is a terrifying film filmed by west craven the original i'm not going to talk about the remake um and you know really that was a film that spoke a lot about the horrors of the aftermath of vietnam and and that time, even though it's a mo- doesn't seem like that on the surface, that's a lot of what it's about. And that's what I think is so great about this genre. And I think Get Out does that a lot. It's talking about a lot of different things. And there's a lot of subtleties in there and um, things that probably a lot of uh, white audiences, myself included, probably didn't even pick up on. I mean, he's said himself that he made this movie for a black audience. Um, you know, he, I mean, he made it for, you know, everybody to watch, but he made it to speak to a black audience. So I think that's another incredible thing about this film 
um, is that there's things that, that other people might not get or might not see. Um, and it also um, can hold up a mirror to a lot of people that probably watched the film as well. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, if, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that's, all of that's very right. And, um, you know, watching the, the movie, you could tell that there were things that are just, the whole movie it's one of the first times, one of the first experience experiences where I, I sat there and thought, wow, I'm sitting here in a movie theater watching something that is pretty much a mainstream hit that there are like actually a significant, um, uh, a significant portion of the audience is white and it's made by a black person. It is clearly made for black people mm -hmm. and there are things that half of the audience isn't going to get, but they're still sitting here and watching it. And it, it's, um, it, it's, uh, it, it made me think to myself, like, how do they even get it released? You know what I mean? Like it, it, there's just such a snobbiness when it comes to movies that are geared toward uh, um, a marginalized community. And certainly black films aren't always seen as money makers and therefore they're not seen as profitable or, or worth the, uh, the space in a the movie theater. So like, that, that was one, one of my thoughts. Like, I can't believe that I'm actually sitting here watching this in a movie theater. Like that is amazing. And I hope that this trend continues. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty incredible. And I, and, um, you know, I, I, I was trying to see the trivia to see if there was any, um, if there was anything that happened, like anyone that said anything to help Jordan Peele get this made. Um, and I, I didn't find too much on that. Um, I do know, you know, I mean, he had um, success with, you know, the the key and is it key and Peele, right? Key and Peele, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that show um, that was on Comedy Central. And so he had success with that, but I think this, this, I mean, there wasn't really like necessarily something that people I think would have thought Jordan Peele would have necessarily done right away. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, there's comedy in this movie. I mean, there's definitely comedic beats in this movie, of course. Um, you know, a lot from the character of Rod, I think is where a lot of the comedy comes from. Right. Um, uh, but yeah, I don't think people would have automatically assumed, okay, the next great horror director is going to be Jordan Peele. I don't think a lot of people thought that. Um, and I think it says, I mean, there, there are problems with Blumhouse, a lot of problems with Blumhouse, mm -hmm. um, especially when it comes to women. Um, but, you know, they are really visionaries when it comes to horror. I mean, they get horror made because... yeah. They also aren't looking to spend a lot of money on horror movies. So that's why they make so many because they know they're going to get a huge profit from them. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, so and, and Blumhouse, of course, um, helped produce this one. So, you know, I, I, I think that's part of what it is, is they kind of decided to take a chance on this. And it was a, it's a great script. Um, so sorry, I'm trying to look here and see if there are any other like things that would let me know what how it became how it came about that he actually was able to get this made when it is such a unique and rare thing sadly to have um a black made horror film 
um, where where someone is writing it and directing it, not just writing it, but writing and directing it. Um, you know, and then also have a dark skinned black man in the lead is yeah. pretty rare too. <laughs> I yeah. mean, yeah, that's, that's, I mean, you know. you, I mean, one of the things that I wondered was, you know, would they have been able to get this made and put out as, uh, as visibly as they did? Would that have been possible if there had been more black people in, uh, in big roles? Uh, that's, that's a good question. You know, like if you hadn't been surrounded by a white family most of the throughout the most of the movie, would it have been quite as um, as a mainstream of a movie as it became? Yeah, that's a really good question because, and that makes me wonder. You know, if this hadn't been a success, um, actually, what makes me wonder is if he had tried to make us first. Yeah, to get yeah. out if he would have been able to make that since that is I mean there are white people in that but it's primarily revolving around a black family so I wonder if he would have been able to get that made first if he had not right. made get out first. because it, it's not it's not a question of whether it's a worthwhile movie or mm-hmm. whether it's um a, even just a good movie that deserves an audience it's, it's a question of like would Hollywood have allowed it to happen yeah and you know like I um after that, we had um, Black Panther, which, yeah, the um, behind-the-scenes people weren't, uh, you know, it, it came from, from Dis- was it Disney then? I don't know, Marvel. Yeah, Marvel. So, but you had a lot of Black people behind the scenes and in front of the scenes. Um, would that have uh, been as... Uh, as you know, quote unquote, easy of a sell to the people putting it out mm-hmm. as it may have been after Get Out. Yeah, you know, and and that, that's you know one of those things where it really bothers me that it that it even has to be a question. Yeah. Um, but it, it is one of those things that that I think about just as a viewer, just sitting there thinking, like, wow, this is amazing. I have questions, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, I mean, yeah, that's, and I think the film itself um, really kind of looks on that. I mean, mm-hmm. it has, I mean, the characters in the movie are considered, I think, in the way they frame it, they are liberals. They're supposed to be white liberal people. Right. Um you know, the whole line about I would have voted for Obama for a third term thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the way they and the way every white character sort of speaks in the movie and the way every white character um, approaches Chris in the movie. Um, you know, there's there's a lot in there that um, I think some people don't really want to necessarily look at. That yeah. I think a lot of people think any kind of racism or microaggression or anything like that, that, that a person that, that does that is automatically a conservative person right? or automatically a Republican or automatic, you know, and that's not true. Um, no, I, for, for years, I, I've thought that like the biggest resistance to understanding that microaggressions are real has come from so-called liberals 
people who are supposedly, you know, trying to become woke or are woke or whatever, um, who will tell you, like, that's not really a thing. And, and, you know, they're also, like, in large part, the All Lives Matter crew Mm -hmm. who will just, you know, they're, oh, it's not, it's not so bad. You know, like, I think black people are exaggerating or, or all of those thoughts don't just come from the right or the conservatives. They very often come from liberal people who think that they are doing everything they can to uh, to be a force for good for for black people. Everything except actually listening to black people. <laughs> and and uh, watching the movie and discussing it with some people, it, it, it only reinforced that thought for me that you know, they, they go in and they watch it and they're like, oh, I, you know, it's it, um, what they took away from it was more, um, I, I guess, uh, you know, these things shouldn't happen. And um, it sucks that black people have to to feel like this, but then they still ignore police brutality and they still ignore systemic racism and the educational system and access to education and um, or lack thereof and, you know, clean water and Flint, all of that gets kind of like, well, you know, there's a reason for that. And this happens. And if black people would just go out and vote, like I said, a lot of that comes from white liberals and it is maddening to, uh, to, try to talk to somebody who thinks that they're already doing, you know, good for the world and try to explain to them, but, but you're getting some fundamental things wrong and having it brushed off as you're asking too much of me. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. because in, in a sense, I feel like, uh, like the Armitage family sincerely believes that they are good white people and that uh, black people should be flattered to be uh, <laughs> to be wanted in this way but then they're still treating these black people as commodities and not as people yep yeah I think they think they're heroes in a lot of yeah. ways yeah I think they yeah they really do see themselves as that way and you know with, with the whole white liberal not getting it thing I, you know a big example of that is the actor bradley whitford who plays oh, the yeah. armitage who did not realize that that obama line was a joke he thought right. it was serious so he <laughs> didn't really even get the whole thing there and mm-hmm. you know and i'm not and i mean i'm as guilty as anyone else of i'm of doing things that i'm trying to actively um notice and correct and see because they're because you know, as, as a white person, every white person out there, we have these ingrained in us. And sometimes we don't even realize the things that we are doing or saying, um, you know, and, and, and I've had so many friends say to me when I pointed out things say, well, Aaron, you know, I'm a liberal. And I'm like, that doesn't mean anything <laughs> right. you know, if you're not listening or if you're not trying to grow or learn, it doesn't right. mean anything. You can be as liberal as you want to be. It doesn't mean that you're automatically shielded from being uh from having any kind of uh beliefs that 
that are racist or, or saying anything that might be racist or that doesn't shield you. It's not an automatic shield. And I think that's what a lot of white people think yeah. is, you know, or it's that knee jerk reaction of, you know, when people are speaking in broad terms and saying, you know, white people need to do this. And they're saying, well, I do do that. You know, not all right. white people. It's that not all. Yes. White thank you. I was just going to say that not all. <laughs> yeah. It, it's that knee jerk defensiveness where you feel attacked. I think that's where it comes from. And I think you have to look at why do you feel attacked? Does that mean maybe right. you've done that in the past? Does that mean maybe you've said something in the past? Um, and looking at that. And, and I think this movie really tries to challenge you to look at that. Yeah. Um, you know, with, I'll, with I'll tell kids. you, I'll tell you what, you know, like as a lighter skinned person, who is mixed my dad is is haitian my mom is mexican my dad is dark-skinned black my mom is uh like i don't know tan (laughs) um and having grown up in mexico i have a lot of things that i'm still learning and uh things where i just haven't been as aware as i have become recently i'm constantly learning my knowledge base is constantly expanding and evolving I don't get a lot of things right because I'm not a dark-skinned black woman in America. I have a lot of points of privilege that I wasn't aware of until, frankly, until like I got on Twitter and uh, a lot of of of, um, of things that I thought were facts were revealed to me as um, as the fiction that white American sells to maintain um, supremacy. So, you know, even as a person who is racialized as black, I still have a lot of of room for growth and I still have a lot of places to learn from. So, you know, I I definitely think that, that, uh, that somebody who isn't even uh, in this category Definitely could stand to learn more. And I think that the sooner that we just embrace the notion that we're not perfect people and that we are going to have to learn about each other um, in order to become better people and better uh, citizens of the world, the sooner the things will improve for everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We, ha- we have to do the work. We can't just say things and then think that that's okay or do one tweet or do one you know like Mm -hmm. I said a few weeks ago you it's not just enough to say you know black lives matter that's not just enough to just use a hashtag it's also seeing other ways that you can help using your voice it's also you know calling out things when you see them bringing them up to people not being afraid to do that not being afraid to get uncomfortable right Right. That's the big thing is that I think that's the fear is people want to be polite. They don't want to be uncomfortable. They don't want to get, you know, and, yeah. and, and, you know, what's really been interesting to me about, about this time is, is one thing I've, I've noticed is, you know, a lot of people in my family, um, outside of my mom and, and my grandma, um, which is incredible since, you know, my grandma, probably had a, had a lot of this to overcome because she grew up in the South. A lot of my family is from the South. And um, so there are a lot of, there's a lot of racism in my family. Um, and a lot of it is very overt and a lot of it's not. And a lot of it's through a lot of 
my uncles. Um, and, you know, it's it, that's why I'm not always the biggest fan of some of my relatives. And It's always the uncles. It is always. The, that's true. That's true. <laughs> it's a lot of times the uncles. But, you know, what's been incredible to watch is I'm, I'm Facebook friends with um, my cousins. And my male cousins, I've noticed through this thing, they've been going to protests. They've been doing a lot. They did uh, one of my cousins. Um, does a lot of DJing and he did a whole fundraiser and all this stuff. And I was like, wow, this is really hopeful in a way because I was like, okay, so you're not taking on a lot of the stuff from the family tree, even though I know you grew up with more conservative parents than I did. So you're, you've, you're actually, you know, I don't know, growing beyond that, you're becoming a better generation. So, um, yeah, sorry, that was kind of a tangent there, but I just, <laughs> I just kind we of we both to... leaned into that tangent though, so you know, yeah, well, no, it was, it was it's a good boys. thing. It's, it fits with this. I just wanted to yeah. mention that because I just it's been so um, amazing to watch that um, mm-hmm. because that's always been one of my, my my big things is you know family get-togethers are not not the best thing, and I don't know if any of my other family's gonna be listening to this, but hey. <laughs> You are being called out, so you know. Hey, um, I've, I've I've gotten into arguments with you before on holidays, so you know. <laughs> like, don't act surprised. Yeah, exactly. You know so, it was you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, and the other thing this this movie sort of really really takes a twist on is the white savior trope, mm-hmm. because you have um, the girlfriend, and you've got you've got Rose, and through the whole time if this was a typical movie she would have been surprised by what her family was doing she would have had no idea she would have helped save chris um and she would have been a final girl so to speak Mm -hmm. um and she would have saved the day and that doesn't happen in get out you know, no, she it is just gets worse and worse with her. Yeah, she's <laughs> she is. I I mean, they're all equally evil, but I think she is a whole other level of evil. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she's truly sick and twisted. And I just think it's great to see that that she wasn't this white savior, that she wasn't the good guy in the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I really thought that was great to see. Do you have anything you want to add on to that? Yeah. Okay, so the thing with, with Rose, and I'm one of those people, like, I, I figured out the, the plot twist and her involvement kind of early on, but when I went back and I and I watched it with, I think it was with my mom, and I think she was surprised by the, you know, the way things went down towards the end. Um, so seeing it through her eyes, I was kind of, you know, more understanding the, why somebody would think that Rose would be the the person to save the day and to save Chris and there's so much tangled up in that because um, you have the the just the idea that you're expecting the white woman to save him it, it, it's it's part of our expectation that black people's existence is validated by white people's appreciation and acknowledgement. Um, there are just a lot of times when, you know, um, when if somebody, you know, befriends a black person and they bring them into their friend group, it's like, oh, it's okay. He's he's cool. Like he's, you know, whatever. Um, 
uh, I remember like a million years ago, and this is, you know, it seems unrelated, but I will bring, I will bring it back to the theme, I promise. Uh, <laughs> David Duchovny was talking about the character of Fox Mulder and how, you know, outlandish he is and how Dana Scully was his human validation card, that you can know that he is a person worth knowing because Scully takes the time to know him. And that by association with Scully, he's actually like a decent and uh, smart and productive human being. And in a way, there's a lot of, um, of that in real life, that if you're in a work group, somebody has to vouch for the minority and say, no, 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 they're, they're a good worker. You know, like they, they'll, they'll really be a, a solid addition to this team. Um, and that Chris's um, uh, introduction to the family, that his presence and his validation for being there has to be through Rose. With the early on in the in the movie where you have Rose, um, you know she she hits the deer, mm-hmm. and they call nine one one, and the police officer comes and is you know telling her well you know next time you need to call animal control instead of the police goes to chris who was not driving and says that he needs to see his license mm-hmm. and the only reason first of all the okay so the only reason that they get out of that interaction um is because rose questions the cop and pushes back on him but it also, in real life, could have gone in a very different way because she's she's escalating a confrontation with a police officer um, and a dark-skinned black man. Um, so, in a way, she you know she's validating his goodness to the police officer, but she's also making the situation more dangerous for him. In the at the party when all of the the creepy white people show up to vet Chris's uh, deservedness for being a vessel for them. She's the one who's, you know, taking him around and not only validating his uh, his attributes to this group, but also supposed to kind of soothe um, Chris through the entire interaction. So there, there's just... Um, for me, it, it just reminded me a lot of um, of seeing my dad out in the world when we would go to his. Um, uh, he, he used he used to when we used to go to into his like uh, company picnics, that kind of thing, um, and he felt you know kind of uneasy, and also people kind of looked at him kind of funny until one of the uh, the white people would come and be like, oh, hey, it's good to see you. And, you know, and then everybody would kind of like chill. <laughs> um, and also for me, if I'm if I'm at a store and it's, you know, I, I was just talking to to my friend and fellow panelist Mick Griffin the other day <laughs> about this kind of thing um, that I know that in some stores I can't walk in with a large purse. I just can't. If I don't want to get followed around, I can't wear anything with big pockets, I can't bring a big purse. But it really also helps if I have a white friend with me. 
you know, if, if I'm walking around with a white person, I'm, I'm, I'm less likely to be singled out for, for scrutiny. And the, the, that just reminded me of that, that like he's there for scrutiny, but it's also um, positive scrutiny because Rose is the one showing him off. Um, there was also, uh, okay, so when, at, at, like, the very first scene, well, actually, no, the, the scene after the, um, opening credits, when Rose tells Chris that he didn't tell his parents that he's black, mm-hmm. because, oh, you know, my parents are, are liberals, they're not racist, uh, my dad would have voted for Obama for a third time if he could. All of this in the span of like under a minute, yeah. this whole thing. And you're cramming in all of these uh, assurances that um, that white people tell themselves to make them feel better <laughs> about their own place in the world. Um, but it, that spoke to me about the, the whole colorblind liberal thinking where we're expected to just, or rather, like, they expect that that's enough. Like, not seeing somebody as uh, as different when clearly you do because you're coveting their body for the attributes that you think come with a Black body. Mm-hmm. Um, that, it, it just, it made me very uneasy watching it. And as the movie rolled on and I was like, oh, she's in on this thing. I went back in my mind to that and thought, well, that, that was one of the tells. Mm-hmm. And the last point I'll make about Rose is that uh, when she's talking to Rod towards the end, when Rod calls her um, to find Chris and she's acting so distraught, like he, her, her voice sounds so distraught, like, have you seen him? I haven't seen him in a, in, in a few days. Yeah. And, you know, what do you mean he's not with you? Where has he been? And then if, um, it goes to her face and her face is just like completely unfeeling and she's just sitting there going through her lines, basically. Um, the disparity between her face and her tone is exactly like the disconnect between face and tone in white women when they call the police or threaten to call the police on a black person. Uh, just for existing, like we saw recently with uh, the woman who called the police on a bird watcher who's black yeah and she's sitting there saying i feel so threatened i'm so scared her body language is a whole a completely different story the um her interaction with him being so aggressive before she made that call tells mm-hmm. a completely different story and that's exactly like the kind of of parallel that i can see in that uh that particular choice for her facial expression in that scene mm-hmm because, I mean, Jordan Peele could have said, okay, now, you're going to act distraught. You're going to act so, like, oh, my gosh, I'm so worried for Chris. But instead, the, I, the direction must have been, you know, like, your face doesn't care. Your voice sounds like it does. Mm-hmm. And, and and that was, like, ooh, chilling. Yeah, yeah. And, and um, Jordan Peele, I'll just read this really quickly about it, because it mentions that scene. Um is he directed Allison Williams, who plays Rose, to think of her role as two completely separate characters. So she's oh. Rose, Chris's fun and loyal girlfriend, and Roro, the cruel and heartless sociopath. 
And he said he was most concerned with her ability to play both at the same time in the scene that you were just describing when she's on the phone with Rod, in which she has Roro's face and mannerisms while sounding like Rose. Um, Peel added that it was absolutely essential that the audience believe Rose and Chris are in love in the, at the beginning of the movie without any suspicion otherwise. So it's just, so it's, so that's just an interesting little thing. And he, he has said that everything Rose does has a different meaning to it. It doesn't mean what you see on the surface, every single thing she does. Like he said with the, with Rose, um, sticking up for Chris, with the police yeah. officer that she wasn't doing that, that another big reason she was, was doing that is because she wanted to avoid a paper trail. So there was right. no evidence that, you know, when Chris went missing that she was involved in any way. So, yeah. So she's very manipulative. She's a sociopath, as Bill says. And so everything she does has a different layer to it. Um, and, you know, I actually had, been spoiled about the movie before I watched it so I oh, already really? knew yeah, yeah I know so which which is on me I I was like oh I shouldn't listen to this they're probably gonna split and then they did spoil <laughs> it um so it's on me but so I made sure not to do that with us so I was like I'm gonna avoid everything possible so I don't get spoiled with the movie. and I'm so glad that I did because that would have just been awful but um uh, but so I was spoiled by that and so I wonder so I always have wondered how I would have viewed her if I wasn't spoiled by the ending because the trailers make it look like she um is, is not a villain it makes her look like right. she's innocent like she's his girlfriend and that's it and that she loves him and that she's just now finding out that her family is evil so you know they don't give it away at all in the trailers so I kind of I, so I always have wondered uh, myself watching so many horror movies and being so used to seeing um, the white woman be the final girl. And then also just the whole trope anyway in films of the white savior trope. Yeah. Uh, how I, I so much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a great YouTube um, video where it's white savior, the movie, I believe that's what it's called. It's a skit that was done on, I think it was an SNL skit or some sort of skit that was done um that's really really good and it's 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 a trailer it's a long trailer for white savior the movie or something like that it hmm. takes on all those um tropes that you should that people should look up if they haven't seen it um but yeah so i i've always wondered how would i have viewed her character if i didn't know that i kind of wish i had just because i i i could see that i probably would have been like whoa really she's not you know just because of the way i've been programmed to see that um but yeah there i mean there's so many interesting little things that her character does even after you find out like the whole scene where she sits there she's got her headphones on and she's listening to the dirty the song yes. from dirty dancing and she's eating a piece of cereal and then drinking milk and eating a right. piece of cereal and drinking milk and it's the <laughs> it's one of the creepiest things yeah. ever and, and she's something looking that's like at all so these simple yeah, and then she starts doing her her Instacart shopping for the next black Yes, food. exactly. Yeah, is, oh yeah. my god. Yeah, it's like she's looking on Amazon almost, yeah. looking for her next victim for the next body, really, which is what she's looking for is the next vessel. Because you know, and I'll just say, I mean, we didn't really describe the movie because I'm assuming if anybody's listening to this, they're either never going to watch the movie or they've watched the movie because we're completely <laughs> spoiling it. But um, you know, because if you don't know what the movie is about, it's you know, I mean, the horror part of it is it's this family that they're um, that the dad, his dad started this where they basically hold an auction for black bodies 
where people bid on them and then they get to be in the black body. It's like a transfer of their brain, basically. It's like a brain transplant almost where they get, that's pretty much what it is. Uh, yeah. And so it's like, a, it's, a, it's horrible. It's basically using black bodies um, in order for them as, as the way I think they see it is to be fit and strong and, you know, virile. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah it, it's taking all of the the stereotypes of um, the advantages that, that that black people supposedly have, mm -hmm. and uh, commodifying them in like the most extreme way. Yeah, it is just, it, and you know, it, it's a brilliant way to talk about um, the dangers of white liberalism. And of racism in general. And it's still like just super creepy. Like, you know, you go into this movie not really knowing what to expect. I mean, at least I didn't, you know, um, I wasn't sure what was what was happening, what going in. Mm -hmm. But it, it just. You start watching it and it, there's just such an undercurrent of of unease that you feel as you're watching it and as things progress and. You go from um, just the family's a little weird to, oh, no, there's something deeply wrong here. Yeah. Yeah, it's very, I mean, it's very, very creepy. The last, you know, when, and the whole, um, when, when um, the hypnotism, you know, that, that whole scene, all those scenes where Chris gets hypnotized um, by the mom. Um, by Catherine Keener's character. Every time he gets hypnotized, it, it's just so absolutely creepy because not just because of the hypnotism, but because it's a never, another moment of her basically taking his body and using his body for what she wants to use it for. Because mm -hmm. um, there's a big thing throughout this where Chris is a smoker and he's trying to quit. And so mom is like, well, I can hypnotize you and you won't smoke anymore. And she basically does it without him even. Yeah, without consent. It's, it's basically like here, without your consent, I am going to put you under hypnosis, and also make you relive the moment when his mom was um, killed in a hit and run, and re when he was a kid, and have him relive that horrible moment, um, you know, without his consent. And she keeps saying, well, I don't want you to smoke because of my daughter and all that. But that's not what it is at all. She doesn't right. want him to smoke because they want to get as much money off of his body. And, as, you know, they want him to go to the highest bidder, you know, and get that bidding and get the money up there as high as they can. And if he's a smoker, then that will be a mark against him so they won't get as much money. So it's just so depraved and disgusting. And it's yeah. another way of them being like not seeing him as a human being, not seeing any black person as a human being, but seeing them as a commodity as their property, you know, that's really what it is. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Absolutely. And, and I just saw, found this, this quote from the guardian um, that talks about uh, the, the movie and, and the themes and says the villains here aren't Southern rednecks or neo-Nazi skinheads or the so-called alt-right. They're middle-class white liberals, the kind of people who read this website, the kind of people who shop at Trader Joe's, donate to, AC, 
to the ACLU and would have voted for Obama a third term if they could. The thing Get Out does so well, and the thing that will rankle with some viewers is to show how, however unintentional, these same people can make life so hard and uncomfortable for black people. It exposes a liberal ignorance and hubris that has been allowed to fester. It's an attitude and arrogance, which in the film leads to horrific final solution, but in reality leads to a complacency that is just as dangerous. And that reminds me a lot of um, the letter from Birmingham, from from Birmingham jail uh, by Martin Luther King. Um, And I I looked that up because I, I think that the whole thing is really important. First, I must confess that over the last few years, I have been greatly disappointed with the white moderate. I have almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the Negro's great stumbling block in the strike toward freedom is not the white citizen's counselor or the Ku Klux Klanner, but the white moderate who is more devoted to order than to justice, who prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice, who constantly says, I agree with you in the goal that you seek, but I can't agree with your methods of direct action, who paternalistically feels he can set the timetable for another man's freedom, who lives by the myth of time and who constantly advises the Negro to wait until a more convenient season. So it's, it's, you know, it's so similar in theme that, uh, that it's not so much the obvious threat as it is the more sneaky threat of the person who thinks that they are on your side or who tells you that they're on your side. Well, thank you for being that off. Cause I think a lot of people, um, forget a lot of, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. quotes and right. they always just do the, you know, ones just saying, oh, he was just, especially with all the riots that, that have happened with some of the riots that have happened, not as many as people want to say, and all the protests are not riots, but, um, but with the riots that have happened recently, um, I know a lot of people have said, well, this would be, you know, something Martin Luther King wouldn't want. And a lot of right. liberal people have said that. But I think it's because people like to pick and choose mm-hmm. what quotes they're going to listen to. And also, I think it's just people haven't looked up all the quotes and people honestly haven't done the work that they need to do um, to realize, you know, that that wasn't. And and the other thing that gets me about that, um, about people's about white people's saying this is how you need to protest. This is how you need to make change. And. This is what, you know, what, what Martin would have wanted. This is what this person would have wanted. This is, um, is there's so much change that has come about in this country through, um, you know, forms of riots. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, we just celebrated pride through the the Stonewall riots made a lot of change. Um, and you know, that's, that, that's the thing is that, that, you know, change comes about through many different forms and you can't, I I mean, we just celebrated July 4th, which mm-hmm. did not come about peacefully. You, you didn't exactly. get um, liberation or, you know, uh, independence from Britain by asking the governor, please, sir, may we be an independent group of colonies? <laughs> you know, like, yeah. it wasn't like a polite thing. You know, there were um, what white America calls uh, revolution. Mm-hmm. But if it had been black people doing it, it would be a revolt. Yeah, it would be a riot, you know. Like it's it, it's a completely different take on things, 
because the protagonist happened to be white. And this is even though, you know, Crispus Attucks was the first death in the revolution. He's a black man. But it's like, well, he just happened to be there. No, he was part of the whole thing. You know, like, uh, okay, I, I, this could get historical very quickly. So let's let's just keep it <laughs> <laughs> to the world of, of Get Out. But, um, but yeah, like the, the erasure of... Uh, of the history both of why um, black Americans feel the need to uh, to protest in this way and the lack of um, just the, the lack of insight and uh, and thought that people put into it into just saying well if you would just protest peacefully or if you could just do things peacefully when this America that so many people so-called love did not come from a peaceful um, revolt or or please may I yeah it, it was uh, there were definitely casualties and a lot of them were material because people seem to be very upset about materials thing material things dying um, but and just one thing that I wanted to add because like I wrote this point and I thought that it was brilliant so I had to share it <laughs> it's really not I just wrote it down and I have to tell you. Um, so Stephen Root's character is the ultimate white moderate. Yes. Okay. Like within this corrupt system in which the these white people uh, and the one uh, Japanese guy benefit, and under which black people are basically killed mm-hmm. because that's just the way that they do things, and you know, but it's the, the whole like I don't care if you're black, white, purple, etc. It, it, it's that white moderate thinking where all lives matter and rules are rules and that's just the way things are and I'm sorry I'm just trying to get by and some people get hurt in the process but that's just how things have to be it's a doggy dot world whatever um, just the, the, the idea that he thinks that he's just trying to get by and doesn't see Chris as a human being he just sees him as somebody on whom he can step to get to what he wants. Mm-hmm. And that's that dehumanization of black people. And I specifically mentioned the, the Japanese gentleman because there's, uh, it, you know, it, it, I was kind of like, why is this dude here? The first time that I watched the movie and in my extensive research, AKA the hour of Googling that I did after I watched it the first time, there was a very interesting article in, in bustle by Olivia Truefoot Wong about why he mattered so much and it talks about the the model minority myth and how um, uh, I mean this in particular was about Japanese Americans but about how Japanese Americans benefit from the model minority myth because it, it uplifts them at the expense of black people but the the focus on is on the uplifting um, and that's something that, again, you know, like as somebody watching it, somebody who doesn't necessarily know every aspect of, uh, of American culture and was just not very interested in really, uh, knowing all of this before a certain period of my life, I was very thrown by that because yeah, I, I've, uh, I've watched in school how 
um, the Asian kids who are also a minority are treated as a more worthwhile minority, whereas people who look, look like me and then darker are put through a whole rigmarole to prove our um, uh, uh, our right to sit in the same classroom kind of thing. Um, and then to read this article, and I'm telling you, this one, there are a lot of articles about this this character, but this one really was very interesting to me. But it, it really made me think about that and uh, think about the ways in which, as a Mexican woman, how Mexicans are overrepresented in um, in media when you're talking about Latinx representation and how uh, the Mexican work, work ethic is uh, kind of, I guess, uh, shown as a model of the acceptable Latinx, uh, I don't know, presence, mm-hmm. and how particularly Central Americans are seen as lesser Latinx people. Like, we're all lumped into the same group, even though we're definitely not a Hamad uh, people. Yeah. But certainly, when you look at, at films and shows, there's a lot of Mexican characters and not, I mean, not because they're painted in the best light usually, but um, it's just an overrepresentation when there are a lot of other Latinx cultures and you you think about, you know, the, the popularity of Mexican food, for example, and uh, you don't see the same fervor for Chilean food or for Colombian food or for Peruvian food. Did I say Peruvian already? I may have said it twice. I don't know. <laughs> <It's okay. laughs> but so like... The whole thing is like the the model minority myth, where we kind of, uh, if you're seen as a model minority, do you, as a person, cling to that myth and milk it for all it's worth, or do you fight against it because you know that it's not okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that that was my whole thing about the. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. No, that I think that's that's important. Yeah, there's there's so much in this movie. Um there's so much that is said without saying anything, you know. There's just so much hidden underneath everything. Um and that's why I think multiple viewings of it are required because there yeah. are things you don't catch the first time. Um and researching and seeing all the the hidden things that are there and all the things you may not have noticed or realized or all the other theories or 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 reading articles of why certain characters were in there or the importance of certain characters or the importance of certain lines or symbols or the use of certain things what what those meant um, it's very important th- throughout this movie um so let's let's talk a little bit more about about some of those other symbols. Um, throughout the movie, I want to point out really quickly with the um, with the hypnotizing scene. Um, she uses a teacup, and basically Missy, who's the mother, played by Katherine Keener, uses a teacup that she kind of you know stirs her tea, 
And the repetitive sound of the spoon hitting the sides of the cup, it acts like, you know, the swinging pocket watch you would normally see when putting somebody into a trance in, in movies or hypnotizing them. Um, and Peel himself has said that the teacup, tea excuse me, is symbolic in that slave masters used to summon house slaves using teacups. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, which is one thing I didn't know before. That That's another reason that he put it in there. So, um, yeah, so that's, that's one of several references to... Um, to slavery that are detected throughout the movie. Um, do you have any other thoughts on any of the other hidden symbolisms throughout the movie? Yeah, one that was so fascinating to me was the, the use of, of cotton. Because, you know, cotton being one of the... When you think about the, the slave trade and, and the enslavement of Black people, you think about cotton picking. Um, or at least you do if you went to my school. I don't know if everybody thinks of the same thing. But the the fact that you know he's he's sitting there, um, Chris picks at at, at chairs. It, yeah. It's one of the, the things that that comes up a lot. He when he's being um, hypnotized, he's scratching at the material of the chair, and then you see him again when he is about to be operated on, and he's you know he's he's picking at the chair so much that he starts picking into the material. And into the stuffing and it's cotton and he starts picking it out and you know I again not being necessarily the most aware person I didn't know if that was like uh, a good thing or a bad thing because it's like well it's picking cotton which you know ah enslaved people mm-hmm. but it's a movie by a black man so it's probably okay like I, I, I'm you know I'm trying to to wrap my mind around the the whole concept of it, but the fact that that it, at least there's liberation where because he picks that cotton and he stuffs his ears with it, and he doesn't hear the the hypnotism trigger, he's able to escape. Um, so, uh, I I don't have like the most fully formed thoughts on that because I still have a lot of questions about that. But I thought it was a very interesting tool. Mm-hmm. And the the deer, which yeah. th- there are so many uh, callbacks to it. There's obviously the hitting of the deer. The deer ends up flying into the, the woods. Um, and we don't learn until later that Chris's mom has been, that she died in a hit and run. Mm-hmm. Um, so all we know is that Chris is walking into the woods to look at the deer as it's dying. Um and at the time, it just made me think of of rubberneckers, you know, like th- there's an accident, people have to like pull over it and like have to slow down and see and make me late for for Zumba. Um, but <laughs> my priorities, you know. <laughs> but it also, as I was watching it, especially like the second time around, uh, I was thinking of how interesting that was, because of how often awareness is created about the plight of a particular black person. And especially now about the general black lives matter movement through video, because people slow down and and look at a video and are, you know, watching something horrific and forming an opinion based on it, maybe finally taking action based on it because they slow down to see it. So 
you know, what do I know about the, the real intentions of of that? Maybe it was just because of the mom dying. Maybe there was more to it. But in my mind, it, it did kind of bring that up. And I, I, I'm a strong believer in um, the idea of death of the author, where Jordan Peele may have not meant anything more than uh, as a foreshadowing of, of what we learned about Chris's mother. But to me, it, it, it just really did remind me of, of people watching videos of, of Black people being um, assaulted and killed and needing to, to watch it, watching something that horrific. Yeah, and I know I know he said that 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 whole scene does have a lot of meaning to it. Um, I I don't I don't know if he said that is that, but I know he said that um, you know he said that that the deer in general and that the fact that um, Chris kills one of the Armitage is with the deer head mm-hmm. um, in the end when he's when he's escaping um, is very is also an allegory on. Um, black people being referred to as bucks. Oh um, yeah. Mm-hmm. He said that that's, that's one of the reasons, but, but yeah, but, but he's, he's said, it's just amazing. You know, he's said, he just loves hearing all of these different theories that even if it was something he didn't intend, you know, are just great. Like you said, the death of the author, um, you know, it's, it's just, it's fascinating to see all the symbolism, all the hidden symbolism that maybe had been unintentional, but that other people see in there. And I, and also just the whole way that is shot, the whole way that whole scene is shot with, and a part of it is the performance as well, but oh, looking yeah, at Chris's sure. eyes and the emotion there, the sadness and the sorrow there, and then looking at the eye of the deer and the sadness and sorrow there is, it's really, it's really fascinating um, scene, you know, that I think has could have tons of different symbolism to it. But yeah, that was, that was one of the things that, um, that Jordan Peele had mentioned as far as with the year, use of deer. I'm, I'm kind of, uh, I'm not always the, the sharpest person when it comes to symbolism, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. <laughs> like th- there are a lot of times where I'll, I'll pick some, I'll pick up on something and I'm like, uh, and I'll just, you know, juice it. Like it's my last lemon and I'm desperate to make lemonade. Um, but I, I know that there's like a lot more, packed into the movie um but but those are the things that really stood out for me um the yeah i'll just yeah <laughs> <laughs> well no I, I know what you it's like because i'll this happens a lot and it happens a lot with horror movies you see um people breaking them down and looking for the various hidden meanings in horror i think a lot more than other things to be honest mm-hmm. um because horror is known for having so many little hidden things like um the flight number that's called out on one time when um chris is on the phone with rod and you hear flight number 237 that's a direct reference to the shining and room 237 which is the most haunted room in that story you know and jordan peele did that on purpose so it's these little things that are put in there that you might not even notice and then they're in there like you know like i'm looking up some of the symbols um you know, like the cell phone, the use of the cell phone in the movie. If Chris uses the cell phone and has the flash on and it flashes in um, another one of the, the black people in, in the black man and woman who are working for the Armitages, who are actually the grandfather and grandmother in right. the bodies, um, whenever he flashes. And then also um, the boy, 
the um, um, Lakeith, Lakeith Stanfield's character, um, also him in the, at the party scene. And he, of course, has the famous line, get out. He's the one who says get out in the movie um, after um, Chris flashes him, like takes a picture in the flash, flashes in his eyes. And it's a way to break the control, um, the mind control over the black people in the movie. Um, but they, this thing I'm reading is said, intended or not, it seems like it might be a reflection of how the incidents of potentially racially motivated police brutality have increasingly been captured on camera in recent years since, mm. thanks to the prevalence of the modern technology. So, I mean, that hasn't been confirmed that that's what Jordan Peele is going for, but that's an interesting take that I hadn't thought of. I don't know. Had you thought of that at all, Carla? No, I, I hadn't at all. I, I, just, I thought it was like really awesome, <laughs> but I, I hadn't... Uh, <laughs> consider that yeah yeah i hadn't really great theory yeah i hadn't either i mean there's a lot of different theories going around that you know um like when um when she's eating the fruit loops and the milk at the end Mm -hmm. uh, some people say it's a reflection on um keeping you know dividing white people and then people of color Mm -hmm. so it's like you've got the white fruit and milk and then the people of color with the Fruit Loops, which is something Jordan Peele said he that wasn't what he was intended, but he thought it was interesting. Yeah. Um, but he definitely said having I had the time of my life from Dirty Dancing being the thing right. she listens to was supposed to reflect how emotionally stunted she is because she's mm-hmm. listening to that while searching or really hunting online. So it's, yeah, for her next victim. It's um, so creepy. Yeah. <laughs> that scene is like... Oh, that's like one of the creepiest scenes. And also the scene where he is tied down to the chair right before the procedure is going to be done. And that old TV's there and he sees that old footage of of the Armitage family and them talking. And yeah, there's so many scenes in here that are just really, really creepy. This movie to me has a Twilight Zone energy to it. That's why I think it's so interesting that, you know, Jordan Peele went on to... um, host the new twilight zone show and everything and because it's so it's he seems to really be inspired by that um right yeah yeah but it does have that kind of energy but Mm -hmm. um i I wanted to go back for a second to the video that he's forced to watch um as he's tied up uh because there's a very specific line that the grandfather says as as he's walking towards the family and he says that the advantages that you have enjoyed as a black person and they're all, you know, physical things. And it's just, you know, that, that's one of those jaw-dropping moments where they're basically saying, you don't deserve these supposed advantages, so we are going to benefit from them because we're more deserving. And, you know, you think about all of the uh, the cons, I guess, which are being visibly black in black in America opens you up to a lot of of violence and denigration and dehumanization um, at the hands of of pretty much everybody, because even um, other people of color are not exempt from anti blackness. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know how is it that they can imagine that being a black person is so much easier or supposedly better and that's part of that that uh um that liberal 
white moderate thinking that colorblindness that oh well you know it, it, it wouldn't matter to me if you were purple why would i care you know it's just you're but at the same time saying but you're genetically superior you don't have any real problems you only have these advantages and it's not fair that you have them so i will just take them from you mm-hmm. so you know it it, it was really I, I, I was just, my, my jaw was on the floor when I heard him say that because that is a very ignorant take on what um, being a dark-skinned person in this country means. Yeah, and his whole thing, you know, was also, you know, he had been beat by Jesse Owens. Right, his famous obsession. Race. So his obsession yeah was being able to be as fast as Jesse Owens. So you see um, his character, um, Walter, mm-hmm. um, you see Walter running a lot, um, you know, just running, like there's a whole scene where he's just running towards Chris and Chris is like, what is going on? Yeah. And it's that whole thing of when, um, when he wasn't it when he was defeated by Jesse Owens. So he's like, okay, I'm going to be able to be running now. Now that I am in the body of a black man, I'm going to be able to run faster. So I'm going to use that now that I'm Walter. It's, it's, yeah, it's a very, yeah, it's, it's just going back to that whole thing of what he says on there of just mm-hmm. viewing, um, once again, viewing black people as not human, but mm-hmm. as commodities. Right. And, you know, you have the, the scene with Georgina mm-hmm. where she's serving them, like, what, what was it, tea or something? Yeah. And uh, she spills some. And that's because th- there was like a, a flash of the real person coming through mm-hmm. um, past the grandmother. And you can see like the switch in the way that Missy addresses her because she doesn't treat her with respect to that point, she she's very rude to her. Um, and it, it, it's that 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 switch that a lot of white people don't see in themselves when they're talking to um, to a black person versus when they're talking to a white person, um, where they think, well, you know, I treat everybody the same, but I'm colorblind and da da da. But if you have um, if you're at a restaurant and you have a white server versus a black server. These are the same people who will be more respectful and understanding to a white server who spills soup on them versus a black server. Mm-hmm. And and that's that that's uh, in my in my second, third, fourth, fifteenth rewatch of the movie, that that you know that sticks out to me that that lack of respect that she shows to Georgina when it's the real black human coming through. Yeah. Yeah, she's very she's very cutting. Her, yeah. her tone of like, why don't you go rest now? Right. It's very, it's, it's callous. There's no like kindness. They're like, why don't you go rest a little bit? There's just this complete, like cold harshness there. You know? Yeah. Well, it reminds me of, 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 and you know, with the racial implications that this has, it reminds me of the way that I've seen people send their pet to, to, to a crate. Mm-hmm. You know, where, where it's like, go lay down. Yeah. It's not, oh my gosh, are you okay? I, do you want to go lay down? It's, go lay down. Mm-hmm. It, it was just, ugh. Again, the dehumanization. Yep. 
Yeah, and you even noticed it in the scene with um, Stanfield's character, Andre, where in the scene where he says, get out, where he gets mm-hmm. flashed. In the, yeah. And you see the way they handle him, the way they yes, pull him back. Yes, it's so rough. Yeah. It's, it's very cruel. It's very, they're holding, because before then they're treating him like, you know. Like one of them. Yeah, like he's one of them. But then the second you see the real guy breaking through, it's like, nope, nope, we got to handle him. Yeah, they get very back. violent. Yeah. Yeah, and it was very violent the way he was um, kidnapped in the very beginning. That whole beginning scene where he's walking through the suburbs and he's lost and he gets kidnapped by by the son, Jeremy Armitage. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, it was very, very, very creepy and violent and spoke to that too. And then the way he's handled again at the party is very violent once he's, he's coming through, once the real man, once Andre is coming through. And, you know, when I was watching... You know, and watching it several times, there are a lot of moments when I think about um, where, where it just it, it's a very sad thing to me watching a black man shrink himself. And you see that over and over in, in the movie. And again, it's not something that I don't know if I'm just nitpicking things now or if it's an actual thing. But um, I've also seen it happen in real life again a lot of the times with my dad of black men trying to shrink into themselves so as not to call attention to themselves so as not to seem imposing um, or intimidating and in the movie it starts with Andre you know he's walking around this neighborhood trying to find whatever he's trying to find he sees this car start to follow him and kind of you know his shoulders get smaller and and he he you know changes direction um, and uh I, I see. I, I've just seen that so much, and I've also done it too because I, I'm 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 tall. I, I stand out, and I, I try to. I, I kind of force myself to walk into rooms in a certain way so as not to be jarring, trying to not make too much noise, trying to not seem so imposing or intimidating because of my height and my my blackness and everything. Just trying to to make people at ease with my presence. Um, and that's what it remind me, reminded me of. And then you see it again with Chris the entire time that he's at the Armitages. And when he's with the um, uh, with the police officer in the beginning with Rose, where Rose is getting very riled up with the police officer. And certainly she has her own agenda. But to Chris, he's seeing it as his girlfriend standing up for him. And his response to her standing up to police officer is to say, no, don't worry about it. It's okay. I'll get out my license. Um, pretty much because he just doesn't want to call attention to himself in front of this police officer. Like a police officer wants to see my license. Fine. You know, like th- that's what what I have to do to be in compliance, so to speak. Um, he, he does this a lot in the party where these people are just asking some really inappropriate things. Um, this one moment goes in is you know, feeling him up basically mm-hmm. to see if he's like a, a good physical specimen asking Rose if, um, you know, is it true that that it's better because he's a black man? Um, these very inappropriate things that he just has to kind of smile and move on. And all of that is is, is just very, it just reminds me very much of of that, that constant need to, um, especially you're so the constant need to make other people at ease with you just for existing. You're walking around in your own skin, in your own body, 
just trying to live your life. But in order to live that life, you also have to um, make other people comfortable with you. And I'm specifically talking about uh, white people, but also a lot of of uh, non-black people, people of color. And it, it's just uh, incredibly frustrating. Yeah, and you see it too in his posture. Mm-hmm. You're saying that I'm, every time he sits in a chair, um, he doesn't. Um, he makes sure he's not sitting taller than other people. You yeah. can notice that, like even those little tiny things of, um, even the way he carries his shoulders and um, the way he walks and the way he stands mm-hmm. is very loose and very um, um, what could be considered to some non-threatening. Yeah. Um, stance. Yeah. I mean, but you you see the way that he walks towards Walter and towards um, Andre <clears throat> when he first, well, uh, with Andre when he first sees him and with Walter when Walter is chopping up wood and, and he's by himself and he thinks, okay, cool, I can just be myself with this other black man and just approaches them like, oh, I can finally yeah. just, you know, spread my wings and, and walk like a normal Chris versus every other time basically in the movie where he's just kind of um softening his shoulders and uh mm-hmm. uh walking in um in the acceptable white way i guess mm-hmm. um it's uh but but it, it it happens in real life too you know there there's there's the the code switching that happens and it happens not just verbally it also happens physically it's not just um not speaking in um in African American, uh, I just completely blanked on the term, but uh, AAVE, African American Vernacular English, and speaking the supposed like acceptable English mm-hmm. that white people think you're supposed to speak in, and only that way. It's also a physical thing where you moderate and modulate your posture, your stance, how you walk. Um, the way you hold yourself, the you know, making sure that you don't have your hands in your pockets, all of these things that people of color, of color, but specifically dark, darker skinned black people, have to think about constantly when they're interacting with non-black people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and you notice that so much, so much of that. Yeah, and it's, and so I want to get into because that kind of leads me to it is it and and I'm sure and I don't know if he, he was directed probably to do that as well but I think part of that is the performance so I want to talk mm-hmm. a little bit about the performances because I think there are some pretty outstanding performances throughout this movie I think really everybody is great in this movie yeah um so let's just talk about that like what are your thoughts on on the cast as a whole and on the performances I am going to devote a very large amount of time <laughs> no um <laughs> I, I just really want to talk about Daniel Kaluuya yes. because his acting is so just breathtaking in this movie. Just there's so much said through his eyes. Like he tells half of the movie just with his eyes, with his, with his expressions, like, you know, just the way that he will look out of the, the side of his eye, um, the, the fear and, you know, the, the ever present poster where he's sitting crying and his eyes are just huge um when uh just if if you see any scenes with him you watch his eyes and you can tell so much 
and that takes a lot of talent to be able to do it like he's he's just such an interesting actor um and i haven't seen them in like a ton of stuff but in the stuff that i have seen him in he it's not a thing where like well that's just how uh how he is and he plays the same character across everything that he does there are like so many nuances and it's really impressive to to watch it it's it, it's uh you you kind of can get lost in that because it's so just captivating um seeing his reactions to the way people interact with him to seeing the reactions to their reactions to him um in particular i think about the the dinner when uh rosa's brother comes in and uh he's you know juggling all of those um expectations and uh interactions in a way that will put him cast him in the best light but also not necessarily back down from jeremy's um taunts uh and it is a complete wonder to behold. I, I mean, like, it just, it seldom gets better than that. And I really also love the character Rod, played by a little, see, I, I can't get the Lil <laughs> right. Because it, it wants to come out as little, but it's Lil Rel. Um, it, it, it's one of these moments, you know, you talk about the white savior, and in this movie, the savior ends up being the comic relief, which is yeah. so cool. Um, because for most of the movie, Rod is just there to to say some really like, what are you talking about things? You know, like, he's like, oh, it's all about, you know, it, it's sex slaves. That's what it is. Get out of there because they're just going to make you a sex slave. In a way, he's not wrong, though. Exactly. Um, but he, he has like all of these outlandish things that he says. And as the movie goes on, it just gets closer and closer to the truth. Um, but he is a complete standout in in, in the movie. Like I, I love watching the scenes with him because he is so funny. Like I, I just even when I when I'm like, okay, maybe I wasn't supposed to laugh at that, but it's still <laughs> hilarious. And at the very end, when he he shows up and he's the one in the car, and he's the one who is coming to rescue Chris. Um, I, I, you know, it's kind of like the last person you expect it to be when the door opens. Um, because in general, uh, chubby, funny black men aren't, uh, portrayed in entertainment as the ones who figure it all, all out. The ones who come in and save the day, they're just the comic relief and that's it. And uh, the, the last person that I want to highlight is is Georgina, pay, uh, played by Betty Gabriel. It, I mean, like, what a stunning performance! Just wow. The 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 scene where she says no repeatedly, and she's crying, but she's smiling, and and it's that that duality within her of um, a kidnapped black woman. Uh, fighting for control of her own body against this old white lady just I, I mean like it really I, I can't imagine what it would have been like if somebody else had played the role because you have to be like so precise I think 
to really get all of everything across that she did. It, it was just so mind blowing. Like it, it's one of the, the, the scenes that, so, that stuck with me the most after I watched it because it, it was just so beautifully played. Um, any of the moments where, where you come upon her uh, and kind of surprise her and she goes from like this placid, you know, she, this placid woman who's just sitting there humming to suddenly she looks like she got caught doing something. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it, it's, and, um, and the, in the very end when Chris feels guilty about leaving her behind because, you know, he flashes to scenes of his mom being left by the side of the road. So he tries to save Georgina, I guess, I don't know how he thought that would have gone other than how it did, but where you think that she's going to be grateful to be to be to be rescued i guess and mostly mostly she's just freaked out that, that this black man took her you know I, I um there's so much that betty, that betty gabriel puts across so perfectly i, I i'm just like kind of floored she's yeah she's incredible especially in that no 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 that scene yeah the way she delivers that line the look on her face and the tears in her eyes it's like so much going on and just like you know like less than a minute you know it's just like it's incredible how much she's saying with not with really no words I mean yeah she's saying no but there's really no words there she's just there's so many different levels and there's two different characters I mean that she's Mm -hmm. playing in that one little moment there there's you know the the real Georgina there's, and then there's the, there's the grandmother and then there's the, the real woman. And there's this, you know, it's like, it's just, she's playing two different characters there going through so many different emotional beats. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's, and it's all in reaction to what Chris has just said about, you know, being uncomfortable and with too many white people and, and that, and just, it's just, there's so many different levels to that reaction of so many different ways you could even read that. Um, and the, the, the tears, that just those tears. Mm-hmm. And the scene where she's looking at herself in the mirror. Yeah. And touching, and, and touching her, her hair and looking at herself in the mirror. It's just, oh, I don't know. There's just something almost creepy about it and sad yes. and scary. And, yeah, she's, yeah, she's, she's so good. She's doing the thing that, that um, white women often want to do, which is touch people's hair, which is touch a black yeah. woman's hair. And yeah. she gets to do it all the time now because she has acquired a black woman whose hair she can touch. Yep. And when people are, you know, they're like, oh, your skin is so beautiful. Can I just, she gets to do that all the time now. And that is super creepy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, oh, the way she, the way she does that. Yeah. And I'll, and I'll go back to, to Daniel here. He's, I mean, he, you should, have you seen the movie Widows? Yes. Yeah. Cause he is super creepy in that movie yeah, he oh my god terrifying he's so in that movie. terrifying but that will show you sort of his his range there um, yes like you said he does so much with his eyes and i'm so glad that he got nominated for an academy award for this performance because yes. not only is it rare for horror movies to get but that, that's just very rare that he got nominated mm-hmm. um and so it was pretty cool that he did because he does say so much with his eyes there's so much emotion there so much vulnerability there um and, you know, just really, I go back again to the scene with the deer, just every layer in that moment when he's just looking at that deer. And you can see he's, you know, you find out later, I think a lot of that was he was 
back to when he was a kid and he was thinking about his mom and then all these other things and just every layer there and the scene um when he's really he's piecing everything together and he's figured everything out and after he's found that box of photos in rosa's closet or little hidden area there in her bedroom and found the boxes of photos with rose with all these other black men and women and um you know he's he's kind of piecing these together although i don't think he's quite accepted that rose is in on it yet you know it's right you know um and he's wanting to leave and he's asking her to get the keys and asking her to get the keys and just that that intensity there and when he's down when he goes down the stairs and you've got the son you've and you've got the mom and the dad and rose is on the steps and he's you know this is right before he rose reveals herself to be working with them um and he just keeps saying rose the keys get the keys get the keys get the keys and there's this desperation and this fear and this anger and this sorrow and this sadness and this like like he knows his life is on the lines he knows his Mm -hmm. life is being threatened right then um and so the intensity there is just amazing it's just it's very it's a very emotional scene it's very sad it's very hard to watch it's there's a lot of pain there too yeah and especially once he realizes you know that rose is one of them and that rose i mean that that betrayal yeah how do you process so much Mm -hmm. betrayal yeah, because he obviously loved her. It was very obvious that he loved her. And so that that level of betrayal there is just it's just incredible. I mean, just watching him process that, you know, because we've already started to process it, I think, before mm-hmm. he processes it. Yeah. So it's interesting yeah. to watch him catch up to us. Um, yeah, because you don't want to believe that someone you love would do this to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then coming to that realization. So yeah, his performance is incredible. Um, and yeah, Lil Rel is, oh my God, he is, so, he's so great. And he's so funny and he's such a good friend. He's he such is. a good friend. He's like the he's best the kind of friend you want to have in your corner. <laughs> I know. And his whole scene where he goes to the cops yeah. <laughs> and he's trying to tell them what's going on. And they're just, and sh- you know, she's like the the police detective's like, yeah, let me go. I'm gonna, I'll be right back. She gets the other people in there, and he thinks they're <laughs> taking him seriously, and they just start cracking up right. at him when he's telling this story about how, you know, because it it is true. Part of that is having a sex slave, because right. you can tell that's why a lot of these white women want to do it. So, right, yeah, you know, it's so yeah, but that that whole scene, and then having him, of course, come in. Um, almost on a white horse. I mean, he comes in with his TSA <laughs> car, yeah. but it's like a white horse when you really come in and for the, you know, to the rescue. Um, and we'll talk about in a second what the, um, what the alternative ending was, how he originally had ended the film, how Jordan Peele had originally ended it, but it's such a great way to end it. And I will say, I'm going to, I've plugged this movie before, um, but the movie, the photograph he's in there with like Keith Stanfield's in that as well, of course. Um, oh. Oh, yeah. And nice. he's in there. Right. Yeah. He plays, um, the, his friend, Lakeith's friend, and he has some great lines in there. He has this whole line after they, um, to the characters have had, you can tell they've, it, there's been a power outage and they've been intimate. They've had sex and <laughs> they're sitting there drinking wine together. You got, um, little Rel and his wife. And then you got Lakeith Stanfield character and stuff. And, and they're doing the little, and he's like, Oh, you're doing the sip and wine and grin. I know what you guys have been doing. All. <laughs> I'm not quoting it very well. Sorry, guys. I got to ruin that scene. But it's really funny the way he delivers it. It's really, really good. And just another plug for that movie because that's a really nice romantic movie. Um, and if you want to see Lakeith Stanfield, who's who's 
he's incredible in that movie too. Um, he's an incredible actor. He is. He's, he's, he's so good. Um, he was so good and sorry to bother you too. So I just want to mention that one as well, but I think I want to talk about his performance a little bit too, because you know, he, he, he is a very pivotal character in this movie and not just because he says the name of the movie, right? but he is the first, I mean, he's not the, he's the first glimpse into the, into the movie since he opens the movie. Um, and then when you see his character the second time, he is now, I don't know if we, do we ever um, learn who the care, who the guy is that has, um, that whose brain has been implanted in his, or who's taken him. I don't. I don't ever think so. I mean, it, it's just they introduce him as whatever his name is, and mm-hmm. that he's married to this, to this lady, and that's pretty much it. Okay, I couldn't remember if they had done that or not. Yeah, yeah, but but his whole scene where he has to go from being, you know, the character that is possessing his body that has taken over his body then to being Andre is just really incredible. That whole scene where he gets the flash and the tears, you know, tears are so prevalent in this, the emotion. Um, And, you know, tears can be overused, but the way they're used in this movie is very subtle. It's not Mm -hmm. like overt, like sobbing. It's just so much pain that there's that tears have to get out. And you see that in his character and in his performance in that scene where he's saying, get out, there's so much urgency there. And Chris doesn't realize at that moment what he's really telling him. He doesn't Mm -hmm. realize that this character is trying to save him and he doesn't really see that, you know, he just sees something that he's not quite sure what is going on. Um, But yeah, his performance in that, that is really good. Um, I think Marcus Henderson who plays Walter is really good too. Yeah. Um, especially towards the end. Where yeah. Where you see him break free a little bit. Right, right. Because, you know, um, it's watching him kind of take the rifle from Rose and saying that, she, that he'll take care of it. There are so many moments at that very last uh, bit where you're just like, well, he's dead. Well, he's dead. Well, he's dead. And that's one of them where you're like, okay, well, Grandpa has the gun now. So, well, Chris is yeah. dead. Yeah, and then that doesn't happen, mm-hmm. of course. But yeah, but just seeing him break feet free for a little bit is just is is pretty incredible because you don't you didn't see that from his character um, right. up until that moment. That was I think the only time, that, if I'm recalling correctly, that you see um, a little break there in the mind control there because you see it with Georgina and you and you see it um, with Andre, but you didn't see it with Walter until that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, and that's, that's a very, very powerful moment. Um, and you see the fear on Chris's face in that moment too, because he yeah. doesn't know what's going to happen. Um, I mean, he's struggling for his life and he just happens to remember to do the flashy thing mm-hmm. and it works, but does it work? Because then he's requesting a yeah. gun and what do you do? I mean, there's, Oh man. I mean, just, that whole weekend must have taken 10 years off his life. Yeah. Just from the stress alone. Yep. Yeah. I can imagine. Yeah. I mean, there's, I mean, actually, um, Jordan Peele has been approached about doing a sequel. I don't think oh, I'd I ever want doesn't. a sequel to this. No. He said he'd be kind of open to it, but I really hope it doesn't happen because I just, I don't know. I just think that would kind of cheapen the whole movie in a lot of yeah, ways. I mean, th- there, there just aren't enough perfect self-contained movies in the world. And this happens to be one of them. And I would hate for 
a sequel to kind of undo all of the amazingness that Get Out is. Yeah, I I agree. Well, I want to get into a little bit of, uh, I want to talk about the ending because um, if people don't know what the alternate alternative ending was, and it was the original one, it was filmed. Um, Jordan Peele showed this in front of audiences. In the original ending, um, the car that pulls up is actually a police car and Chris is arrested. Um, and in the end scene, and you can see this scene um, uh, on, on the movie, if you've bought it, it's included. It's the alternative ending, alternative, excuse me, alternative ending where um, Rod goes and sees him in jail um, and they're trying to investigate and get Chris out of jail. So it's a, it's a very depressing ending. Um, it's sadly more realistic ending yeah um because i mean you even see in the ending where you see the police car which actually ends up being you know um ends up being rod pulling up and and saving the day um but you see that look on rose's face when that Mm -hmm. car comes and you can Mm -hmm. see that she goes up well i'm saved i'm free this black man standing over me and i'm a white woman and they're instantly Mm going to be like okay he's the villain and you instantly see chris putting his hands up and he knows too um and so in the original it was the police um and then jordan peele decided after gauging the reception at the test screenings that he needed to give black audiences a happy ending um he needed to reverse that storyline and have it be where the black man survives lives succeeds and is rescued by another black man you know by his friend so he needed to he decided to reshoot that um and yeah so i guess and i guess there are other endings that he considered to um when one ending rod breaks into the estate finds chris and calls his name but chris responds i assure you i don't know who you're talking about so you know yeah that would have been really creepy too um and i'm glad they didn't go with that one too but um but so what are your thoughts on the fact that Jordan Peele changed the ending and ended up going with a happier ending? I am so grateful that he did the ending that he did, because, you know, you, you have the, this buildup of tension and tension and tension and with basically no release. And this ending really was a great release and it was um, a complete subversion of what reality would really would be like um, for a black man who is seen choking a white woman um, in rea- you know reality because you know people would say well you know if he got arrested he could you know uh, state his case and if they just did an investigation he would eventually go free but you see so many cases in real life where black men are jailed on uh, just the the smallest of um, finger pointing, you know, obviously Mm -hmm. the Emmett Till case. And we don't even have to go back as far as Emmett Till because they're over and over again in America, we have instances of, of black people being arrested over nothing or having the police called on them over nothing. There was um, a a nine-year-old boy, like maybe a year ago, who was in a in a store with his family and he's exiting the store and uh this white woman starts shouting at him that that he uh 
that he sexually assaulted her because he grabbed her butt. And she's shouting over and over again about this. And um, for one thing, that's enough to, to uh, for a lot of people to get a, a, a black person killed. Mm-hmm. But there were, you know, people were recording her. Thankfully, there was video evidence that it wasn't anything that the boy did. The boy's backpack happened to brush to, to brush against her butt. But the idea that it doesn't take a lot for a black man to be brought under arrest and to have his life threatened is very real. And especially as you see like this towering inferno behind Chris and he's actively choking this white woman who's already been sh- been shot in the stomach. What chance does he have to prove his innocence? I mean, the... the um, it's been decided for him already when a when a uh, uh, when a police officer shows up, but it's rot, thankfully, and that's why I, I was so relieved just as a viewer just watching it and being like, oh, thank God, this is because throughout the whole movie, I did not experience the tension, the fear that I did until that police car showed up. Up until then, I was okay. It was like, okay, it's a, it's a horror movie, it's fine. That police car shows up and I was terrified and I was so sad and I just felt like helpless and hopeless and and all of that was lifted when you see that it's just Rod. Um, so if they had had the movie with that initial ending that that he filmed, I, I we wouldn't be talking about this movie right now because I would have been like, nope, that movie sucked. I hated it. Yeah. It would have been a very different... Um, feeling from me about it and I I can't imagine darker skinned people with darker skinned black people watching it how you know if if this movie is made for black people like how could you do that to black people (laughs) you know like that that would have been a horrible thing to do to a black audience I think yeah and I think that's what what he realized that's what he said. And it was also when he wrote it, it was a different, he wrote it before the election in 2016 was another mm. point he made. And then um, having that happen around the time when he's filming it and, you know, everything. And then, of course, when it's released is after the election. Um, so it was such a different world and different time. I mean, this stuff is still, I mean, not like this hasn't been going on for decades. I'm just saying like, it was a different time that he felt like he said, he felt like, no, I've got to give hope and give a more positive ending, you know, and not have it end on a note where he doesn't win, where Chris doesn't win, where the black man doesn't win, you know, Mm -hmm. um, and how important that was. And yeah, I mean, I, I can't, speak from personal experience, but I, but, you know, I can only imagine that. I mean, I had that fear when that cop car pulled up. I had that fear when I first watched it because I actually didn't know how it ended. Um, and oh. I was like, yeah, I was spoiled by about Rose, but I wasn't spoiled about the ending. So um, when I first watched it, so I was glad about that because I was happy that it ended the way it did. I can't imagine it ending the other way. And having seen that alternative ending, um, that would have been just such a bleak note to end the movie on. And you want him to be a hero, you know, I mean, 
you cheer when he kills this family. It's right. you cheer for him. Um, and you want him to win. And the thing is, is that, you know, if people say, well, he could have been freed, you know, like, like you were mentioning, the thing was that the house was on fire. Mm-hmm. Um, who is really, I mean, who's going to believe you saw, um, Rod telling this story, you know, unless you have hard, hard evidence, that's going to yeah. be a really hard thing for anybody to buy or to prove, or to even want to listen to, or even want to investigate or even, you know, and I, and I mean, I'm not saying they maybe would have investigated, but still, if you look at it from that, that standpoint, any possibility he would have had, I think would have been so, so small for him to have, um, successfully survived that situation. And I, I mean, like survived, like without being incarcerated, anything. It, I just mm-hmm. don't see how that would have happened. Um, you know, so, so I'm glad that Jordan Peele gave us that, that ending. And I think that's why so many people, I think that's one of the many reasons why so many people love this movie. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I, like I said, I, I can't imagine having seen it more than once if the ending had been what it originally was. And I mean, you know, for Jordan Peele, I could definitely see the original ending having more possibilities for a sequel because then it's like, get out of jail. It's a, it's, it's a whole different um, direction in which he could have gone. He went in a direction that at least for me kind of closes out the story, but I'm glad that he took into into consideration what it would have done to people's psyche if he had gone that route. Mm -hmm. You know, and listen to his heart too, and listen to what he thought would be. He's a, he's a smart guy. He's a brilliant director. He's a brilliant writer. So Mm -hmm. he he knew what he was doing. Yeah, definitely. Um, And I want, I want to talk about Jordan Peele a little bit more here too. And about the fact that, you know, this, this movie was nominated for best picture, um, it was nominated for, I mean, Jordan Peele won for best, best original screenplay, um, which is amazing. I mean, you know, the fact that this, and, and, and I, I don't, I don't want to live under any, you know, assumption that this changes anything. The fact that this movie was nominated for best picture because it doesn't, cause you also have movies like green book still winning best right. picture. So it doesn't change necessarily things. It's just, it was a happy surprise, which it's sad that it was a happy surprise, but it's a happy surprise for a lot of reasons. Um, you know, genre movies like this horror movies don't get recognized in this way at all. The only other one was like silence of the lambs, but that was because it was classified as not being a horror, even though it's clearly a horror movie. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so it's, 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 pretty incredible that this was nominated for it. And it's pretty incredible that Jordan Peele won. I mean, that was, I just remember cheering and being so excited that he won and deservedly so. Um, And I do think, you know, I do think Jordan Peele in general is able to have a little bit of a change um, on the face of horror. Mm -hmm. If you haven't watched it, watch the documentary horror noir on um, shutter um, you should still be able to watch it for free without even getting a subscription to Shutter. But even if you can't, you can get, you know, like a free trial subscription to Shutter. And if you don't want to, I recommend Shutter anyway. But if you don't want to keep it, you can get a free trial and watch this amazing documentary. Even if you're not into horror movies, I still recommend watching it. And it's all about um, 
black people in horror throughout the decades. And it's just so fascinating to watch. And I think Jordan Peele's success can have a change on that landscape. Um, I'm not saying everything will change, but I think he can have an impact on that. Um, Do you have anything you want to add to that? Just that, you know, we, on the heels of the the success of, of get out, we had us, Mm -hmm. which was another very like mind twisting movie. Um, that and and again, like we were talking about earlier, would it have been as commercially accepted if Get Out hadn't succeeded? Because it has a majority black cast, um, and it was very fully embraced, from what I recall. Um, so I I think in in that sense, it's it's kind of, I guess, proven that that black stories are worth telling. But that also um, Hollywood doesn't need to shy away from majority black casts or black directors or black writers, which, again, you know, this is one of those things like wishful thinking, because now it's a year and some later since the movie came out and it's still not like a, um, a churning out of, of black movies like it is when rom-coms are popular and then you see them all over the place. Um but I, I certainly hope that it's a turn for the better for representation in front of the scenes and behind the scenes. Yeah, because that's where it really needs to also be that. I mean, I think sometimes we focus too much on in front of the camera mm-hmm. and not behind the camera because it needs to be in both areas because... You know, and, and I think if it hadn't been for this this success of, of Get Out and then the success of Us, um, which someday we'll have to do a podcast on that because talk about so many different layers in, that, in a movie. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that movie has a million different layers. Um, and, you know, and, and it's, it's, it's one where you have to watch over and over again as well to get the different layers. Um, but I think you wouldn't have the new Candyman movie, which is directed by a black woman. Yeah, um, Mia DaCosta, which I want to make sure to get her name out there because too often, though, what's happening with this movie, because Jordan Peele is a producer, he is not the one who is directing this movie. He's not the one who wrote this movie. Yeah. And too often people are it, saying that. <laughs> that. That it's Jordan Peele's movie. Yeah. And it's it's not. So I and we're going to be watching um, her film, Little Woods, which I don't know if any if you've seen that one yet, Carla, mm-hmm. but. Yeah, it's and it's it's a love story, and it's also it's just, it's a really good movie, and it's on Hulu, and we're going to be doing a live watch of that to sort of that was my way of kind of celebrating Candyman because I'm not positive when that will actually be coming out this year. I know they've got a new release date, but you know with everything going on, who knows if it'll yeah. actually end up coming to the theaters? I want to see it, just like stream it. I don't care. I want to <laughs> see it. I'm desperate to see this movie. <laughs> I know. I really want to see it too. So I was looking forward yeah. to it this summer, but at least they Let's still have a release. My, my... Make my childhood trauma of having had to watch Candyman the first time when I was definitely not old enough to watch it. And my dad took us to a drive through movie in which my sister and I had to, like, make ourselves tiny in the back seat so that we wouldn't have to pay. Yeah. And then watch this incredibly scary movie. Make it worth it for me, okay? Just, like, stream it so I can watch it and complete the circle. It looks really good. It looks yeah, really it good. does. Yeah, yeah, and I actually just recently rewatched the original Candyman in preparation of because it's on uh, Netflix right now. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, and I, it's it you know it's 
it still holds up as being really creepy. All of those where they look in a mirror and say stuff, you know, I, I wrote a yeah. whole short screenplay <laughs> about one of those. So it's, it's, yeah. it's one of those fears that I have. Um, it, you know, I don't know what that says about me. <laughs> but I, but yeah, I, I think, I think he has opened the doors for people. Um, you know, and I just hope other people continue to open those doors and push those open. And I hope a lot of, a lot more white people, um, you know, also, you know, help open those doors and step aside and also be like, okay, you know, there's, you know, let black people tell their stories. Um, we don't have to tell them and let's not keep whitewashing everything. And we don't need a bunch of green books in this world. We don't need a bunch of, uh, characters like the character, yeah, the help. And we don't need, you know, the, the, the racist cop who becomes good from three billboards. We don't need any more of those characters. We need more, more, more things like this and more things like us and more, more things like loose, you know, yes, I cannot, you know, not mention that movie. <laughs> I know you, your love for, for um, Calvin Harris Jr. will not be contained. Yes, it won't. It won't. He's also in, he's also in the photograph. So, <laughs> Yet another reason to watch it. Yes, yes. You you have you have a night at the Roxbury. I <laughs> I am sneaking Kelvin Harrison Jr.'s name into into things. <laughs> there you go. We each have our missions in life. Anyway, but yeah, I I just you know I hope that they keep getting knocked down, and I hope that um you know I think Blumhouse has this real opportunity to help change the landscape in a lot of ways and get a lot of op- give a lot of opportunities to more people. Um, they need to start really giving more opportunities to women and especially women of color. Um, you know, that's one of the big things that's, that's missing. Um, sorry, my dog is making weird noises, so I got distracted (laughs) by that. Um, but anyway, but yeah, so sorry, I got totally distracted there. Um, is there anything else you want to add on that, Carla? I'm going to have to cut so much back. No, I, I think we've done a very thorough job. Yes. This film. <laughs> well, we're going to wrap up our talk about, about Get Out. Um, we'll, maybe we'll do a sequel and talk about it again sometime, or we'll definitely talk about Us at some point, because I think that's another film yeah. that's a good one to dissect. Um, but let's close out, and just, Carla, if you want to let everybody know where they can find you. I can be found all over the place online. I have a website, carlatemis.com. That's C-A-R-L-A-T-E-M-I-S. I can also be found at uh, on Twitter, same name, Carlatemis, Instagram, and on Facebook. And also I have uh, um, my website, uh, my, my shop on society6.com. That's society6.com slash Carlatemis has, uh, I've just uploaded like a, ton of new um new images so there's tons of stuff to choose from if you want to buy a tote bag a sticker a wall print it's all there awesome and we'll and we'll be linking to carla's website maybe we'll we'll link to that to the society six page too in the notes um in the show notes as we usually do and also just i've put it in the show notes but i'm just going to put it out here i don't know if everybody has noticed but carla does all of the cover art for our episodes. I understand that on some podcast platforms, unfortunately it doesn't 
always show up very well, but um, but she does all the cover art for every one of our episodes. So um, big shout out to you, Carla. So thank you for continuing to do that. So it is my absolute pleasure. And this is Erin. You can follow me on Twitter at eAprilBeauty. The E and the A and the B are capitalized. Be sure to like the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash it's a fandom thing pod. On Twitter at fandom thing pod. No, it's in that one. On Instagram at it's a fandom thing pod. Um, if you have any feedback, any theories that you have about Get Out that you want to share, feel free to email us at it's a fandom thing pod at gmail.com. And remember, once again, you can become um, a sponsor of the show for just as little as 99 cents a month. I know I sound like a spokesperson or like an infomercial person when I say that, but but that's not that much. So for as little as 99 cents a month, you can support the show. You can have an opportunity to possibly be on a podcast episode. And, you know, all that money is going to a good cause. Like I said, it's all going to Black Lives Matter organizations from now until at least October 1st. Um, I have a feeling that will be extended. Um, we, I am still still hoping to get an auction going. I apologize for the delay. I've never done anything like that, and it's just been an interesting experience trying to figure that out. So I do still see that happening. Um, I do still want that to happen. Um, so look out for the announcements about that as well. Um, and next week, we are going to be talking about the movie Love and Basketball, which turned 20 this year. So it's one of those things that makes me feel extremely old. Um, but it's a great, it's a great romance. So we're going to be talking about that, um, continuing our celebration of movies that have been created by black filmmakers, black writers, black directors. Um, the week after that, we're going to be discussing do the right thing, which turns, and this makes me feel even older. That one turns 31 years old this year. Oh my God. (laughs) What? Yeah, so we're gonna be talking about that, and look. Also, we're gonna be doing we're gonna be doing some live watches. Um, we've already done the loose one because this comes out after that. Um, but we're going to be watching Little Woods. We're gonna be watching um, The Five Bloods. We're gonna be watching that before um, before we do do the right thing. So it'll be on that that weekend of when we're recording that. Um, and then we have several other movies that we're gonna be watching as well. So keep a lookout on the Facebook page for that. And until next time, remember, it's a fandom thing and Black Lives Matter. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. 
We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over a hundred social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S. excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.